Well, we are in a series, uh, Christ being formed in you. We're looking at, uh, I took that passage, it's in, um, I just went blank, Galatians chapter 4, I believe 9 or 19, it's one of those two, I just, like I said, I went blank, um, but, but Paul talks, is talking to the Galatian church, and, he's, and he, he makes this statement, is that I'm in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Okay? And he's describing his desire, his, his yearning for them to have Christ be informed in them. And, and that statement has kind of captured me and it's kind of working on me for the last several months. And, and so what, I've, what we've been doing is we've kind of been looking through Jesus' story. Now, the way I kind of picture it is this, that is we have the, the story of Jesus as he is being formed. Okay? Because we know Luke 2.52 says... Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. He was growing. So, and that's the language of formation. And so, as, if we could just, as we study scripture, maybe we can just stop and look and see as Jesus is becoming something as he grows into, right? That's really weird to think of because he's God. But Jesus in the flesh is, he, he didn't like start off knowing everything, right? I mean, when he was in swaddling clothes, he didn't know that E equals MC squared, right? So as he grew, as he, he gained wisdom and knowledge, he grew in favor with God. Jesus grew in favor with God. That is a strange statement. But what if we just decided we're going to look at the story of Jesus as this, as he's being formed? And as we look at that and we recognize that, maybe we begin to say, so what does that mean with this idea that he's being formed in me. Paul's language, till Christ is formed in you. And, and the way I picture it is this, that John the Baptist's words were, as he watched Jesus in his ministry, he said, I, he must become greater and I must become less. There's that language again, become greater. As he grows. And so in our lives, how do we allow, how do we how do we? How do we be a team player in this process of Jesus being formed in us? Because, quite honestly, we need to get rid of our old self, and he needs to take over. And so as we look at the stories, um, that's kind of the, the lens of what we're looking, on, looking at, okay? It doesn't mean that if I say something about a scripture that we're looking at today, and it doesn't, you've never heard somebody preach on it before like that, or you know, it doesn't necessarily... Um, fit with your picture, well, just give it a moment and trust that God wants to speak. That's it, okay? If we can just trust that. So last week, we looked at the story of Jesus calling Levi or Matthew. And um, just, uh, just real quick, just to, for those of you that were here, this is going to make sense. For those of you who weren't here, it probably won't make sense. But, but uh, the calling of Matthew, the things that we, I wanted us to see is this, is Jesus gives us this picture of a doctor. He picked the illustration. A doctor doesn't come for the healthy, he comes for the sick. Do we catch that, that, that he was just giving us a picture of, of himself? A doctor. And as we, as we followed through, as we read this, a little bit more of the story, um, that what I said was this, Jesus will address every area of your life in his timing, based on his wisdom. So when he comes to you and says, hey, it's time to deal with this. 
He has laid the groundwork because we see the story of Jesus calling Matthew and we recognize it's a little bit separate from the calling of the other disciples. And we can just read right over that or we can say, look, wait a minute. Jesus called Matthew a little bit later in his ministry when his ministry was a little more developed, when his following was a little bit greater. He waited to call Matthew. All right? So as he calls us to change in our lives, as he comes to these places in our life, and he says, follow me, we need to recognize there's, there's a point to him coming to, that, coming to you at that point, at that, that place that he's laid the groundwork, that, that he knows it's time. So when he comes and says, it's time to deal with this, guess what? He knows it's time. And he's prepared you for it, and he's ready for it. So we're going to read on in that story, and it's, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. We're picking up at just this, the next part in um, the story. So, so Jesus has just said to Matthew, as Matthew's sitting at the tax booth, he says, come follow me. So Matthew gets up and he follows him, and the next thing we know is, is Matthew's got a banquet going on, and Jesus is at it, and the Pharisees are kind of walking by, and they're like, what in the world is going on here? What is he doing with those tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus kind of responds. That's when he says, the the doctor doesn't come for the healthy, he comes for the sick. I have come to call sinners, not the righteous. So the conversation continues now. The Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus, and this is what happens here. It says this. So they said to him, the Pharisees said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will, not, will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will be torn They will have torn, excuse me, the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. Okay, so what we're going to do here is we've, get, we've just read this story. Now, here's what I want us to do. Is we're going to look at the things that I noticed, okay? It doesn't mean that next time I read this, I'm going to notice the same things. I may notice some other things, okay? And you may have noticed a few things. So if, if we don't cover something, if I don't cover something that you noticed, here's your challenge. Ready? You can take this piece of paper, you can go home, and you can read it again. I know, it's Right? This is, this is maybe earth-shattering. You can take that, this, you can take that, you, you don't even have to take it home. You can actually just remember the passage. And you can go home and you can read it again. And if God's talking to you about something, if you notice something, chances are God wants you to notice it for a reason. And that's the place to start digging. Okay? You can read other translations. Maybe you can read the story as Matthew tells it in Matthew chapter 9. Or you can read the story as Mark tells it in Mark chapter 2. To study the scripture, okay? I would really encourage you to do that. Don't take my word for it. Look for yourself, all right? 
So what we're going to just do is we're going to look at what I noticed this week. So the first thing I noticed is this. There, there's some assumed knowledge of the reader here. Did you guys catch that? It's almost like, maybe you didn't. It's really easy just to read through this. Uh, just curious, um, how many fast like once a week? Do I have anybody fasts once a week? One, okay, good. Say, do I have anybody that fasts, I don't know, once a month at least, at least once a month? Okay, one, two, two, okay. Do I have anybody that fasts at least once a year? Okay, first servant, nobody. So, man, they didn't, they didn't know anything about fasting. So we've got a little bit of a basis here, right? Except for, it seems as we read this, there's this conversation that, that Luke assumes that we know. Well, John the Baptist's disciples, they fast. And us Pharisees, our disciples, we, we fast. Does anyone just read over that and go, oh, okay. Because there's something more here. Okay, so let me just give you the, the, the real fast information. If you go, the real fast information, I didn't mean that. But um, anyway, um, you go back to the Ten Commandments, you don't find fasting in the Ten Commandments. So, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I go, okay, the Ten Commandments, man, that's the thing that we're going to hang on to. We're not throwing that out whatsoever, right? But there's some other things in Leviticus that we can say, wow, there's some strange instructions here. Let me just say, New Covenant, Old Covenant, think about that and we'll come back to it, all right? There's a, God's plan had the Levitical law, the stuff found in Leviticus, was there for a purpose. And Jesus comes along, and things begin to change, all right? So what we see is, found in Leviticus, there, there was a, there was a uh, um, part of the festival of the Day of Atonement. People would, the Israelites were to come and make repentance before God. And, and that day of the year, God would, would, would forgive their sins. It was, they were atoned. Their sins were atoned, okay? And uh, so they would fast on that day as they repented. More than likely, John's disciples were fasting in the heart of repentance because John's story, John's message was Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. So his, of course his disciples are going to fast because on the Day of Atonement, when, they, when the Israelites were to repent, that's what they were doing. They connected repentance and fasting together. That was John's message, so his disciples were going to be fasting. Now, the, now that's John's disciples, but we get the Pharisees come into the picture, and the Pharisees, now that's a different thing going on here, Okay? Um, the Pharisees fasting probably connected to, you know, one or two generations back to the law somewhere, but they would traditionally, they fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, right? You think you don't like your Mondays? Try fasting on your Mondays, right? They were holy, holy people. And now I say that and maybe a little sarcastically, but their, their heart, their originally especially, their desire was to be right with God. And so they felt like fasting twice a week was, was really spiritual. But they didn't do it in hiding. They didn't do it secretly. The whole world around them knew they were doing it. So as they're watching what's happening with Jesus and his disciples, they're going, man, you don't do any of that. 
All we see you guys doing is eating a lot. And it confused them. Or they were being pretty critical of him. So that's just the assumed knowledge of the reader. The next thing I want us to see is this is Jesus' first parable. Now, he doesn't say, let me for the first time tell you a parable, all right? We just know as we look chronologically at Jesus' life, this is the first time that he introduces a parable. If we look at Jesus' life and his ministry as it's developing, right, as he's becoming greater, that his, his style, and I don't know if that's the right word for it, but his, the way he taught was growing. And so he, we know he's famous for parables. Well, we go back to his first one, and this is it. Now, in the development stages of anything, the firsts are a big deal. My opinion, firsts are a big deal. Okay? So, we come to this. This is one of, this is his first parable. Jesus was famous famous for parables. And it begins with a question of fasting. Fasting seems kind of like a side issue, right? It doesn't seem all that, that important. It's not one of the big ten. And so what we see, though, is, is Jesus uses this to start to talk about something that's greater, something much bigger. The new story that Jesus is, is, is opening up to his people and to us. And that story includes this idea that the old isn't actually going to work. The old served its purpose, but there's some things that need to change. There's some things that are going to change. That is, do you guys understand, this is a critical point in Jesus' teaching. And it's something that the churches struggled with for centuries to follow. The church in Galatia was hanging on to the old. They were saying you have to be circumcised. You have to basically become a Jew before you can be a Christian. They're trying to take the two things, the new and the old, and mash them together, and it doesn't work. And Jesus is introducing this and saying, listen, there's a new plan happening here. This is the beginning of it, and I'm, wor- I'm introducing it to you. It's really odd that it, it begins because they, he's questioned about fasting. So it's his first parable. The, n- the next thing I want us to notice is this, that, that Jesus, in his conversation, he actually takes four different things and he contrasts them, okay? Four different examples that, of things that contrast. The first was the, the feasting and fasting. He uses the wedding, the wedding banquet as a, or the, or the, the bridegroom and the, the wedding party, and he uses that and, and he says, well, the, while the bridegroom's there, you don't fast, you celebrate. And there's this contrast between the two, fasting and feasting. The next we see is, is there's a contrast between the old and the new garment. He contrasts the two, right? You don't take, you don't take a, the, the, a patch out of the old garment, I mean a new garment, excuse me, you don't tear the new garment to patch the old garment. That would be ridiculous. You've got a new garment, why would you tear it up to patch the old one? Besides that, if you do that, the old one still, is, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna fix it. Either the patch doesn't match or as Matthew and Mark refer to, is, is they're gonna, it's going to pull apart. And the old one is going to be ripped, and the hole is going to be greater. It's going to be bigger. Things are worse, because you tried to mix the two together. 
All right? The next is, is the new wine and the old wineskin. Okay? He contrasts the new wine with the old wineskin. It doesn't work. And the last one is, is he contrasts the new wine and the old wine. He's setting a stage here. The old, oh, did you catch it? The old doesn't mix with the new. See, all the rules and patterns that they've been following. They've been telling people to live by. They don't fit. That Jesus is introducing a new covenant, a new relationship with God. Something that is not based on that system. And this is his first parable is introducing this new. The next thing I think we, we just need to make note of is this. Jesus makes reference to his death right here. Did you read over that? Let me just kind of read past that. So in Jewish culture, there's several stages in the process of a husband and a man and woman coming together. The first stage is betrothal, and it is more than a promise ring. It is more than an engagement. It is a significant step. But they haven't, as husband and wife, haven't come together and consummated the, the relationship yet. The, the bridegroom will, be, will leave after the betrothal. He will leave, and he will go prepare a house for him, himself to, for him to bring his bride back to. He goes and prepares a place. Uh, that's not where we're going, but just, do you, you hear the language, right? Jesus says, I, I'm going to leave. I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's, it's referring to this process. But nowhere in the Jewish culture is there a time when the bridegroom is taken from the wedding party. Now, I've heard of cultures or I've heard of traditions in some places, even in the United States, where, um, where the bride is like kidnapped by the wedding party. Has anyone ever heard of that? Okay. I mean, I don't know, as a bridegroom, that would freak me out if my bride was being kidnapped. But it's, a, it's, a, it's expected, right? But in Jewish culture, that's not what's happening. So when he refers to this, He's telling them, look, there's going to be a time when the bridegroom is taken away. And when that happens, sure, there's going to be, there's going to be fasting. But right now, that's not where we're at. So let's next, the next thing I want us to notice this is the last thing I wanted us to just take note of. Like I said, there's probably more. And if you caught one that I didn't catch, go home and work on it. Maybe it was, maybe it was that, that contrast between the old garment and the new garment. Maybe you need to let that sit for a while. But the next thing I want us to see is, the last thing is is this, verse 39. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better. And I I got stuck here. I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't, I understand. I'm not sure I'm making sense here, because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, well, the old's better. And yet he's, He's talking about the new. I, mean, I, lo- I lost sleep. I probably laid awake another extra two or three minutes. And that's a long time for me, okay? That seems like an eternity for me. But I did. I, I woke up thinking about it. That, that morning, I, was just, I kept going, I, I don't understand this, God. I don't, this, this, this is throwing me for a loop because it doesn't say what I think it should say. And so I had to just, I had to, I had to step back and I, I, I read some scholars, and I didn't like what they had to say. 
Not because, not because you know, they were off or anything. I just felt like they weren't addressing this statement. I felt like they were, they were reading into it something that didn't get said. And so I struggled with this. And then I realized something. I kind of made some assumptions about what he was saying based on what I know. Okay? So I made some assumptions about what he was saying based on what I know. I mean, I was kind of hearing you know, that, that he was saying the new wine is bad. That's kind of what I was reading into it. It almost sounded like he said that old wine is better in comparison to new wine. That's how I read it. But I just made an assumption there. See, he's, dress, he's addressing an assumption that, that what they have, what they've been carrying with them, their tradition, their, their things, that they're, they're good. That's an assumption. There's the assumption that the old ways are better than the new ways. Come on, we think that, right? We call it the good old days. You know, have you ever heard this one? Well, they don't make things the way they used to, right? Well, let me tell you. All right, my first car was a 1977 Toyota Corolla. I could work on it. Um, it was pretty simple. I own a 2012 Camry. I open the hood, and there's some things in there. I'm like, I don't even know where the fuse box is, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, the old seems better. But then I stop and think about it for a minute. I would rather drive my Camry than that Toyota Corolla any day of the week. Okay? Sure, the Corolla was easy to work on. But it was terrible to drive. You couldn't have a conversation at 55 miles an hour because the engine noise, that four-speed, didn't let you go that fast, really. And the wind noise, you couldn't, have, you couldn't talk. Old is better. Come on. We like to say that, but quite honestly, it wasn't very fun to drive at all, and you had to work on it more. Sure, it was easier to work on, but you had to work on it a lot more, okay? We read this, and I think I assumed that Jesus was saying something that he didn't say. See, I assumed he said, new wine doesn't taste as good as old. But he didn't say that. Did you notice that? He did not say that. Go back to the story. See what he said? And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. For they say, right? Listen, if anybody says, well, they say... You should probably just pause for a minute and go, who's they, first of all, right? And is that fact? So as I spent some time thinking about this, all of a sudden this story came to mind. It's found in John chapter 2. We actually studied it a few months ago. It's Jesus' first miracle. Now we're sitting at the story of Jesus' first parable, but I'm thinking about Jesus' first miracle. Does anyone know what it is? 
Water into wine, probably just a coincidence, water to wine, right? And we're talking about wine here. Parable, parable, I mean, uh, first miracle, first parable. Probably just a coincidence that those two, same kind of topic, right? Oh, well, yeah, Jesus is a wedding banquet, and he refers to the bridegroom. Probably still just a coincidence, right? New wine versus old wine. You know what? Jesus made some incredibly new wine there. It was seconds old when they served it. What's the master of ceremony say when he tastes this brand new wine? He goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is Darren's version of it, okay? If you go to John chapter 2, it's not going to say this, all right? But the master of ceremony goes, whoa, wait a minute. Normally, they bring the good wine out till everybody's drunk. Then they bring the cheap stuff out, all watered down to nasty, right? But what was the best wine? It was the new wine. We read into it our assumptions that Jesus was saying something that he wasn't saying. The new isn't worse. See, Jesus, as at the ceremony, I mean, at the, wedding, at the wedding banquet, he says what? My time has not yet come. That reminds me of that ad slogan. I don't know why this popped into my head. When, when I was a kid, there was this commercial on that, well, actually, this thought popped in my head. It said, we will sell no wine before it's time, right? That's my extent of knowing about wine right there, right? Paul Masson, Orson Welles was advertising, Paul Masson, whatever, wineries, and uh, <laughs> vineyards, there we go. Um, so, yeah, right, old wine, supposed to taste better. So, what's the wine in our story? Old wine, new wine. What's the wineskin in our story? Did you stop and think about that? Or were you just taking it literally? Because it's a parable, and that's what we should do is take it literal, right? Okay, the wineskin. What does it symbolize? Right now, what I feel like he's talking to me about is the wineskins is us. Old self, new self. What Jesus was talking about in this is he's talking about an old system and a new system. The old system being what the Pharisees were following, the new system what he was presenting. He was talking about a Um, a relationship with God that was based on your sacrifices rather than the new covenant, which is based on Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus makes new wine in an instant, and it's the best. doesn't mean that the best wines are wines that had to to be aged. See, he said, no one after drinking old wine wants the new. Is it possible? Is it possible for us to, to just stop for a minute and think as as we're being made new, Is it possible that there's these points in our life where we think, 
that old way was better. I mean, yeah, sure, if we stop and we think about it, we think of all the terrible things that happened in it and everything else, but there's this, sometimes we romanticize the old. Jesus doesn't say the assumption was right. All he said was, is that's what people say. Almost as though he's saying, once they've tasted of the old wine, they say, that's good enough. So let's change gears. Let's put our lenses of Christ being formed in us. Those are the things we just looked at. So let's connect it. What do we, what do, what do we need to take away from it, from this passage? Listen, this is a message for us that are Christians that have been Christians for a while. Okay? If you haven't been a Christian, if you've never made that decision, or you just, you've just made that decision... If this causes you to go, I don't get it, please talk to me. I want to talk about it, all right? But those of us that have been in this for a little while, as Christ is being formed in us, though, here's what I hear. Your old self and your new self don't mix. I just imagine some of us some of us really holy Christians are probably sitting there saying, yeah, that's right, duh. I know that. That's why I got rid of the old life, right? Well, I'd like to say that, but I discover in my own life there are these places, these moments, these issues in my life that, that keep Christ being formed in me that progress, that, that, that process that's happening, that, that, that kind of stall it out. When I have these places in my life that I don't want to let go of. Places where I resist him. These things that he says, I want you to give this up. And I say, I don't want to. The old is better. Christ be informed in me. Christ be informed in you. Is it possible that maybe we assume that we can have Christ formed in us and still hang on to the things that he's telling us to let go of? Did you hear the language I used? Because sometimes we say that he's asking us to let go of, right? Oh, you know, Darren, would you please give, give this up? Doesn't approach, I mean, I pretend like that's what he says, but he says, this needs to go. Because the old does not mix with the new. It will not work. It does not work. Listen to these verses. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old self gets Killed off, gets gotten rid of. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You hear the language there? Why has it got to be so strongly worded, right? 
Because the old and the new do not mix. Ephesians 4.24 says, and to, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put on the new self, new wineskins. Hebrews 8.13 says, by calling this covenant new, here's that covenant language, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Ah, listen to this one. Revelation 2.15 says, He who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I am making everything new. In Jesus' words, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Can I just tell you, this is what I think. Whoever wants to hold on to that wine, old wineskin, it's going to break. And the wine gets poured out all over the floor, and you're left with something that's useless. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Whoever will take on the new wineskin. See, Jesus is not in the business of rehabilitating your life. This is an important piece that I think, as, as we've been talking about Christ being formed in me, I, I have this concern that, that maybe what I've been communicating all along is that what Jesus is doing is he's rehabilitating you. That he's taking a really nice guy and making him even nicer. This, this taking a decent person and making them more decent. Listen, he is in the business of making all things new. We are not fixer-uppers. We are condemned, needing to be torn down. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Don't try to patch. He isn't cobbling us together by taking new parts and, and mixing them with the old. I don't know. This idea in my head is, is, is I grew up in a I grew up in a in an old house, okay? My 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 grandparents bought it from the original guy who built it, and then my dad bought it from my grandparents. They, he's lived there since he was in fourth grade. I think he's like 100 years old now. No, I'm just kidding. He's 80. But he's lived there a really long time, right? And uh, um, I don't like old houses because I grew up in one. Oh, but they have so much charm. Yeah, along with the wind and the cold and the terrible heating system and, and keep going on, right? The creeks in it and the, you know, those sounds that it makes and everything else, the bad insulation. Oh, yeah, old homes, they're just wonderful. No, they're not. Give me a new home any day, right? Sorry if I've just... We are not being fixed here and there. We are having parts transplanted because the old is not good. He's giving us a new heart taking out the old and putting in new.
his message is, is that we need to leave that old stuff behind and put an end to that assumption that those little things that you may be holding on to, that they're okay. This idea that, well, I don't have to give up everything, right? You are a new creation, not a fixer-upper. He's already made you new. Now he's removing the old. As long as you keep drinking the old wine, you're not going to discover what the new wine offers. So are you willing to take the new? Now, maybe I'm crazy, but I have this idea in my head that God wants to talk to us today about some things that maybe it's just like a simple, specific, because uh, it is for me. He goes, this needs to go. And quite honestly, I've spent too much time trying to, trying to say, oh, it's okay. Oh, it's not affecting my relationship. Oh, you know, a little bit of this isn't hurting anything. Except for when he puts his finger on it and he says, this needs to go. We've got to stop arguing with him. Because it doesn't mix. He's telling us it's not gonna work. I don't know if you've known, and I've kind of, I think I've shared this before, but um, most of my life decisions with God have come in just quiet moments with him. Uh, maybe it's sometimes driving in a car, sometimes it's just in, in, my, in my quiet times with him where he just speaks into my, into my brain, into my heart. And yet I'm realizing something that, that sometimes we walk out of here without a decision and it's easy just to kind of move on. We have these things up here for a reason. And sometimes, sometimes it's hard to invite people up because if nobody comes up, then it's like, well, that went over like a lead balloon, right? And I know from being in the pew that I can be sitting there going, oh, I should go up there, but I don't want everybody else looking at me because right? they might be thinking God's talking to me. They might even sit there and go, well, what's God telling him to get rid of, right? Shame on you if you're sitting out there doing that. You should be listening to what God's telling you, okay? So I'm going to say this just because I need to be some accountability. We're, I'm going to work at inviting you up more often, okay? Because sometimes we just need a place that we can stop and listen. It's going to be for a very short time because I have one more thing we have to do today, okay? But I want to give you the opportunity. So would you bow your heads, please?